and welcome to another episode of the public access romance read-along of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. I am your even chapter reader, Isabeau. I am your odd number chapter reader, Morgan. Morgan, the last chapter we read was lucky number 13. Can you tell us what happened? With pleasure. So... The Bennets receive a letter from one Mr. William Collins, who is their male cousin, who is set to inherit their home, Longford. But he says, I'd like to bury the hatchet between my father and you, Mr. Bennet. I would love to come to visit. And so they have hosted him. Uh, He was like, whoa, what a great house. Whoa, what pretty daughters. Whoa. What fine boiled potatoes. <laughs> he doesn't actually say that in the book, but we all know. We all know. <laughs> um, he does compliment the girls on their cooking, and Mrs. Bennett's like, uh, we can afford to keep a chef. Thank you very much. <laughs> we may be poor, but we're not that poor. Yeah, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Also, Miss Bennett is convinced that uh, the right to inheritance is all made up. and that the estate could just go to anybody if they wanted it so. Unfortunately, it's not true. It's definitely going to Mr. Collins. But we're still having quite the pleasant dinner with him. We are. And he's here for another six days. He is. A sun night commences. (laughs) With that, chapter 14. During dinner, Mr. Bennett scarcely spoke at all. But when the servants were withdrawn, he thought it time to have some conversation with his guest, and therefore started a subject in which he expected him to shine, by observing that he seemed very fortunate in his patroness. Lady Catherine de Bourgh's attention to his wishes and consideration for his comfort appeared very remarkable. Mr. Bennett could not have chosen better. Mr. Collins was eloquent in her praise. The subject elevated him to more than usual solemnity of manner, and with the most important aspect, he protested that he had never in his life witnessed such behavior in a person of rank, such affability and condescension as he had himself experienced from Lady Catherine. She had been graciously pleased to approve of both the discourses which he had already had the honor of preaching before her. She had also asked him twice to dine at Rosings and had sent for him only that Saturday before to make up her pool of quadrille in the evening. Lady Catherine was reckoned proud by many people he knew, but he had never seen anything but affability in her. She'd always spoken to him as she would to any other gentleman, and she made not the smallest objection to his joining in the society of the neighborhood, nor to his leaving his parish occasionally for a week or two to visit his relations. She'd even condescended to advise him to marry as soon as he could, provided he choose with discretion, and had once paid him a visit in his humble parsonage, where she had perfectly approved all the alterations he'd been making, and had even vouchsafed to suggest some herself. Some shelves in the closets upstairs. God, he sounds like such a millennial. (laughs) Just like so grateful for any (laughs) scraps of humanity given by his job. Oh my god, thank you so much for this $3,000 copay. Um, they're actually really nice. They do let me take vacation, and all I have to do is keep my cell phone on me. <laughs> At all times. 
That is all very proper and civil, I am sure, said Mrs. Bennet, and I dare say she is a very agreeable woman. It is a pity that great ladies in general are not more like her. Does she live near you, sir? The garden in which stands my humble abode is separated only by a lane from Rosings Park, her ladyship's residence. I think you said she was a widow, sir? Has she any family? She has only one daughter, the heiress of Rosings, and of very extensive property. Ah! cried Mrs. Bennett, shaking her head. Then she is better off than many girls. And what sort of young lady is she? Is she handsome? She is a most charming young lady indeed. Lady Catherine herself says that in point of true beauty, Mr. Berg is far superior to the handsomest of her sex because there is that in her features with mar which marks the young woman of distinguished birth. She's unfortunately of a sickly constitution, which has prevented her making that progress in many accomplishments, which she could not otherwise have failed of, as, as I am informed by the lady who superintended her education and who still resides with them. But she is perfectly amiable and often condescends to drive by my humble abode and her little phaeton with ponies. Has she been presented? I do not remember her name among the ladies at court. Her indifferent state of health unhappily prevents her from being in town, and by that means, as I told Lady Catherine myself one day, has deprived the British court of its brightest ornament. Her ladyship seemed pleased with the idea, and you may imagine that I am happy on every occasion to offer those little delicate compliments which are always acceptable to the ladies. I have... <laughs> I have more than once observed to Lady Catherine that her charming daughter seemed born to be a duchess, and that the most elevated rank, instead of giving her consequence, would be adorned by her. These are the kinds of little things which please her ladyship, and it is a sort of attention which I conceive myself peculi peculiarly bound to pay. You judge very properly, said Mr. Bennet. And it is happy for you that you possess the talent of flattering with delicacy. May I ask whether these pleasing attentions proceed from the impulse of the moment or the result of previous study? They arise chiefly from what is passing at the time, and though I sometimes amuse myself with suggesting and arranging such little elegant compliments as may be adapted to ordinary occasions, I always wish to give them as unstudied an air as possible. Mr. Bennet's expectations were fully answered. His cousin was as absurd as he had hoped, and he listened to him with the keenest enjoyment, maintaining at the same time the most resolute composure of countenance, and except in an occasional glance at Elizabeth, requiring no partner in his pleasure. By tea time, however, the dose had been enough, and Mr. Bennet was glad to take his guest into the drawing room again, and when tea was over, glad to invite him to read aloud to the ladies. Mr. Collins readily assented, and a book was produced... But on beholding it, for everything announced it to be from a circulating library, he started back, and begging pardon, protested that he never read novels. Kitty stared at him, and Lydia exclaimed. Other books were produced, and after some deliberation, he chose four Dice's sermons. Lydia gaped as he opened the volume, and before he had, with very monotonous solemnity, read three pages, she interrupted him with, Do you know, Mamma, what my Uncle Philip's talks of turning away Richard, and if he does, Colonel Forster will hire him. My aunt told me so her herself on Saturday. I shall walk to Meryton tomorrow to hear more about it, and to ask when Mr. Denny comes back from town. Lydia was bid by her two eldest sisters to hold her tongue, but Mr. Collins, much offended, laid aside his book and said, I have often observed how little young ladies are interested by books of a serious stamp, though written solely for their benefit. 
It amazes me, I confess, for certainly there can be nothing so advantageous to them as instruction, but I will no longer importune my young cousin. Then turning to Mr. Bennet, he offered himself as his antagonist at backgammon. Mr. Bennet accepted the challenge, observing that he acted very wisely in leaving the girls to their own trifling amusements. Mrs. Bennet and her daughters apologized most civilly for Lydia's interruption and promised that it should not occur again if he would resume his book. But Mr. Collins, after assuring them that he bore his young cousin no ill will and should never resent her behavior as any affront, seated himself at another table with Mr. Bennet and prepared for backgammon. meta commentary there <laughs> uh further evidence that mr bennett is a troll collins is is reading i don't know i don't know what it is maybe it's the late hour but it's uh triggering thoughts of incels <laughs> or those like not even incels but um pickup artists with their little books of pickup mm, lines, you know, mm-hmm, and techniques. He's like, oh, I study out these little compliments that ladies like. Yeah, and he's definitely negging Lydia. I don't know if he's negging Lydia. I think he's just overthinking human interaction. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, I'm, I'm going to look up that quote. Um, Bonnie Burstow. Radical feminist therapy working in the context of violence says, Often father and daughter look down on mother together. They exchange meaningful glances when she misses a point. They agree that she's not as bright as they are, cannot reason as they do. This collusion does not save the daughter from the mother's fate. Mm. I think this book doesn't have that perspective. <laughs> No, but it's illustrating that point very clearly. Yeah, yeah. I know we kind of talked about it before recently and regularly and consistently, but Mrs. Bennett really shows like the slippage of self-awareness, the the feminine villain, or not even villain maybe, but like foil, like Caroline as well, really shows like the slippage and self-awareness in the text. Do you think it's self-awareness in the text? I would say so because it, it represents a serious lack of empathy, which because they're all bound by the same rules, right? Like Mrs. Bennett is right to be upset about how the entail is going to work because it's not just going to affect her daughters, but it will grievously affect her ability to live in her own old age. And Caroline, likewise is obsessed with marriage because she has to be because if she is just left up to the goodwill of Charles Bingley it might not happen and Elizabeth Bennet too is trapped in this world and the fact that she this book acts like Lizzie's cavalier attitude is not only the more acceptable, but like the righteous and correct version, I think is this serious lack of empathy. You know, I think this might be like kind of a consistent pattern in Jane Austen's work because 
And like this might be why a lot of people consider Emma her greatest novel. Because Emma takes the perspective of the kind of ridiculous woman. But I think about Persuasion mm-hmm. as her like final no- uh, novel and the way Anne's sisters are portrayed as, you know, utterly ridiculous, frivolous, mm. and, and indeed weak. Just something about, something about that chapter really made me think about, you know, in our attempts to look down on other women we are in fact looking down on ourselves i think that's a beautiful way of putting it and i think what was so great about you pulling that quote this does not save the daughter from the mother's fate is the line even in this chapter is that sometimes mr bennett will glance at lizzie but that his what does it say occasional glance at Elizabeth requiring no partner in his pleasure that like, he's just doing this for himself and he doesn't need anyone to help him do it. Even as she could be included. This has turned into a bummer hour. (laughs) Thank God it's only 15 minutes. (laughs) Anything else you want, you want to observe about chapter 14? That, you know, Mrs. Bennett has been sorely abused for, 200 years and that we should definitely turn a much more critical eye on Mr. Bennett. Also, he had that letter for a long time and didn't tell his wife that somebody was coming to dinner. I believe Mr. Darcy will subtly call him out. (laughs) Not soon, but (laughs) eventually. Fingers crossed. Oh my God. With that. Eventually. Loosen your prejudices. And not your pride. All right. All right. <laughs>